Hallelujah. So one of the things we're going to be getting into in this message, John chapter 12, verse number 27, is whenever Jesus is addressing the, he's actually addressing his mission. How many of you know Jesus came here to save? He said that he, he was about the Father's business, but he said his main, mission, his main mission was to seek and save who? The lost. The lost. It, it, it wasn't about going into a church and pumping up a church. Come on now. That's what the church has devolved into. It, Jesus didn't come here to come give the goosebumps to the, po- to the people in church. He came to preach the gospel to those that were outside the kingdom of God. He came to preach the gospel to people outside the walls of the church, those that were lost. Amen? And what you see happen in John chapter 12 is, is one of the most important chapters in the Bible because it's very non-Calvinistic. And it shows you the, the main point for why Christ came. There was a point in time when Christ is ministering and he's ministering and he's got his, his disciples who are all Jewish. And then all of a sudden, some Greek people come and they want to hear about this Jesus. And when these, when these Greek people came to Jesus, that was the moment in time Jesus said, okay, it's time for the cross. Okay, we're going to pick this passage up, like I said, in John chapter 12. Let me just touch on that in verse number 20. Let me touch on that in verse 20. It says, There were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sirs, we would see Jesus. Philip come, and he tells Andrew, and and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second, so I just want you to see that there was a transition in the ministry of Jesus. He came, and he was, he was fulfilling the law, according to Matthew. Uh, he, was, he came to fulfill the law. Not one, jaw, not one jot, not one tittle was going to fall till everything was fulfilled. He came to fulfill the law. Not do away. He came to fulfill that thing. Amen? The only way the law can be fulfilled is through Christ. And if you're in Christ then your righteousness, his righteousness is imputed to you. But listen to this. It was that turning point. So now he's been about the law, and now these, these Greek people come, and they say, sirs, we would see Jesus. There was a movement upon the Gentiles. And Jesus knew now this is going to be where the shift happens, okay? Now let's, let's continue to read. Verse 24, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the grain, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, this is the part I want you to get. Verse 27, now my, is my soul troubled. Come on now. Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching. He's preaching. This, you know, it's all, it's all good at that point. You get a little problems with the Pharisees every now and then, but that was nothing. Religious persecution, no big deal. But once he realizes and sees that the Gentiles have come to desire to know him, now I know it's time to go to that cross. The hours come. Look what he says. 
Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. The reason that Jesus came to this world was not just to teach and preach. The reason he came to this world was to go to that cross. Amen? The reason he came, the cause, the cause of Christ is the cross. He went to that cross to pay a debt that we owed. There was no way that we could pay that debt back to God. We were indebted to God, and we didn't have any way to pay it back. No amount of soup kitchens, no amount of good deeds, no amount of saying God loves you could ever wipe away that debt. The only way that debt could be paid is if God paid the debt himself, and he did. He came for that cause. He came because of love. He was compelled to go to that cross and allow the world to mock him, ridicule him, despise him, shame him, scorn him, abuse him, and crucify him. And he said, look, God is spirit. He can't bleed. So he had to incarnate in flesh so that that holy blood could roll down Calvary's hill. There is no remission of sin without blood. And that the, the, the remission of sin that we need is greater than anything we could provide. God had to provide himself a sacrifice. And he did. And he provided himself literally. He came down and incarnated in flesh and allowed that flesh to be crucified. That, that blood pouring down Calvary's hill to redeem, to redeem a wayward soul. That was the cause the cause, the Bible says that, that God so loved the world that he gave. That's the cause. Why did he give Jesus? Because he loved you, and he desired you to be reconciled. But the only way you can be reconciled is to turn away from your ungodliness and turn to Jesus, believing on what he did at that cross. Amen? And so the point I want you to see is his soul's troubled, and he says, what shall I say? Father, deliver me? This is this the very thing that was troubling his soul was his cause. Come on. I'm going to tell you something this morning. In order for you to be unwavering in crisis, your cause has to be greater than the crisis. If 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 your cause is not greater than the crisis, you will waver. You will begin to stumble. You'll begin to backpedal. You'll begin to apologize for what Jesus says. You'll begin to apologize for holy light. You'll begin to apologize for Jesus. And what we see here is he said that his soul was troubled, but his cause was greater than the crisis of soul. His soul was troubled. That means the flesh. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. He had to eat. He had to sleep. That flesh had to die, and that flesh was troubled. The soul was troubled because he realized this is about to happen. The sin of the world's about to be imputed to him. And what we see is the cause was greater than the crisis bearing down on his soul. One of the problems we see in the church is once the enemy begins to, 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 to wolf you know, the enemy walks about as a roaring lion. Once he begins to, to roar at you, oh, man, sorry. Because if your cause isn't greater than the crisis, you'll back off that truth. You'll give in to the flesh. You'll back down from the truth of what God said and who he is. 
But here you see from our Lord and Savior this precedent that the cause was greater than the crisis. Amen? Well, whenever you're dealing with that, you're dealing with a, a, a battle in the mind. You're dealing with a battle in the mind. If you give in to the things of the crisis around you, it's because your mind is being waged war by the devil. You're giving in to those thoughts. You're giving in to those temptations. What's it going to cost me to stand up for God? How many, how many believers today have been martyred in Africa, in the Middle East, and throughout Asia, and Korea, because they're not willing to deny Christ? And we in the church in America, we may not lose our head yet, but if we remain silent, it's coming. If we continue to keep our mouths shut about God's truth, it will come to America. It's already come to England. They've already outlawed certain verses of Scripture. It's already that way in Canada. They've already outlawed certain verses of Scripture. And if we keep our mouth shut about the truth of what God has said in America, it will become that way here. We have to lend our voice to what God said, what the truth is, so that people can be saved. Listen, if it becomes illegal, people that have a cause greater than the crisis are still going to go preach. If the cause is greater than the crisis, even if they make it illegal, even if they bring cancel culture to your doorstep, even if they kill your body, I want you to know that there are people that are willing to lay down their life for Jesus. This was the issue that was presented to Esther. She had to go before the king and tell the king that she was a Jew and that all the Jews were about to die. And she began to have trouble in the soul, like Jesus said. And Mordecai, her uncle, said, look, if you don't do it, God will raise up someone else to do it. Because God's going to save his people. God is going to deliver his people. God is going to be glorified in a generation. God is going to be exalted whether this country likes it or not. God's going to get the victory. And just like Mordecai told Esther, he said, if you don't stand for what is right, if you don't do what God's called you to do, someone else will do it. But he said, you were, you were born for such a time as this. That's why you were born. You were born for this time. And I got to tell you, you were born for this time. We can, you know what, it, it, it's good to go glean from people that wrote books in the 1900s. But those battles are those battles. These battles are these. And we were born for this time. God knew when you were going to be born. He placed you in this time. He could have placed you in the 1400s, but he placed you here. And he placed you now. And God's called you to battle. God's called you to stand up for truth in your generation. It's easy to stand up for truth in other generations. We all know that slavery was wrong and inhumane. It's easy to say that on the other side of it, but in the middle of it, society was for it. And you would have to stand up against society and tell truth to society that don't want to hear it and would probably kill you for it. And the same thing now. When society accepts something that God says is wrong, we have a biblical mandate to speak the truth. We must be, we must be about the Father's business and our cause greater than the crisis coming against us. And like I said earlier, if the church just wants to shut the doors and sing lolly, 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 the world's never going to come against it. The world will only come against you when you go outside the walls of the church and begin to take the light to those that are in darkness. When you begin to compel the lost to be saved, when you begin to share the gospel with those at 
Thanksgiving dinner, when you begin to share the gospel with family members, we're going to touch on these issues. Just bear with me. But these are big issues, and a lot of times the enemy begins to roar. But I want you to know God is greater than the enemy, okay? God is greater than the enemy. So here, the, the, the part I want you to see is that the cause. Now, the, you don't need the definition, but I love to just give you that because a lot of times preachers will be like, now in the Greek it says this, and in the Hebrew it says this. Well, I'm just going to give you the definition in the English. In the English, the definition of cause is this, reason or motive. What's your reason? What's, what motivates you? You see, this is the problem in the church today. Our motive, our motive is anything and everything but the truth. What motivates most churches to have carnivals? More people. Why more people? More money. Why more money? More staff folks. Why more staff folks? More of us can have a job. Bigger house, bigger cars. How many televangelists want a bigger airplane? If you'll just sow a seed of $6,000, I know you got it. Because their motive, their cause is not the thing that is God's cause. If people are all the time compelling you to give money for the cause, I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers say, sow your seed so we can share the gospel. Sow your seed so we can share the gospel. You know what their gospel is? Their gospel is sow your seed. It, look, the gospel is going to go forward whether you put money in anything or not. God's not going to have a voiceless generation. God is going to raise up people whether they make money off the gospel or not. In fact, God's going to raise up more churches that don't take up offerings. When you give money or not, the gospel is going forward. But most of the time, when you all you hear is, sow your seed so we can preach, sow your seed so we can go, that's their gospel. That's the gospel to them. And the reality is, if that's all that you teach and preach, nobody's going to come against you. They're just going to make fun of you. But there's coming a day of judgment. Judgment starts with the house of God. Before God's going to judge this world, he's going to judge the church. Why? Because the church has been given a commission to go out into the world with the light. And we've done everything but that by and large. But God's raising up folks in this day. God raises up people in every generation. And it must be our prayer that God raises up more people. That God raises up more people that are willing to speak into evil that are willing to speak into darkness, that are willing to speak to sin and rebuke it and call it in to get in line with what God says. God's raising up people to do just this. Now, I want to tell you something about the crisis. Whenever you begin to go about the crisis, pushback will happen. Come on now. You, nobody ever gets involved in a crisis of faith without pushback. We got to be realistic about it. Amen? And the, the thing is, is you have to keep an eternal perspective in your mind rather than giving over to the temporal perspective. It is a mindset that you must get into. Amen? It is a mindset that you must get into. How many of you believe that from this point forward, there was no changing Jesus' mind? He said, what am I going to say? Deliver me from this hour? This is the cause. That not only Jews can be right with God, but Gentiles. 
That's why he came. He was, he, was, he was taking out that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. He was taking out that wall of separation between barbarian and Scythian, male and female. He was making the gospel open to every single person, red, yellow, black, or white. It's, they're all precious in his sight. And he was taking this gospel and being lifted up that all people could be drawn to him. And this is where I told you before, it, this Roman, uh, John chapter 12 is a non-Calvinistic chapter because what he says um, in the next couple of verses tells you the story. Because when these Gentiles came and they said, we, we would see Jesus, look what he says. Look what he says in verse number 32. He said, I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. If Jesus is lifted up, if Jesus is magnified, if Jesus is the center of our faith, if he is the rock on which we stand, if he is exalted and preached in a generation, he will draw a generation to himself. But if we're quiet, listen, if we're quiet and we're just letting people continue in their sin and drifting off into an eternal hell and damnation, we're not preaching Jesus. So here is the thing. Whenever you begin to see uh, a, a crisis in your faith, if you've ever stood up for the Lord on your job, if you've ever stood up for the Lord in a family uh, situation, if you've ever uh, preached you know, on a street corner or anything like that, there is a crisis that will soon come. A lot of times, uh, whenever you begin to share the gospel in different places, people will, uh, will, will begin to mock you, ridicule you. you. You have all kinds of battles. But I wanna, we're going to touch on this morning how to be unwavering in crisis. Okay? How many of you know Jesus was unwavering right here? All right? So let's go back in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the life of David and see how he was unwavering in a battle, the, the big battle of David's life, which was 1 Samuel 17 with Goliath. So there's a couple of things that I want to point out in this in the story. I'm, I'm not, we're not going to teach the whole thing, but I want to point out some different battles. How many of you know the battle was with Goliath, but David actually had several battles that day? There were several battles he had that day, and we're going to touch on that this morning. Because anytime that you begin to stand up for what's right, anytime you begin to live holy, come on now. If you begin to live holy in an unholy world, you're going to have battle after battle after battle after battle. The world is dark, and it's trying to impress upon you its darkness. And if you try to live holy in this generation, you're going to have battles. If you don't care about living holy, they're not going to bother you. They got you. But if you try to live right before God, if you try to let the light of Jesus shine through you, if you try to live for God in this generation, they're going to come after you. You can't live holy. Well, I thought I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, most people today, they use that Bible verse so they can throw a football. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what? If they can use that to throw a football, I can use that to live holy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In every moment, I can honor God. I can walk with God. I can walk full of the Spirit of God. I can please God in what I do. If He's empowering me and living in me, I'm going to honor Him. Amen? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So can you. Amen? Come on now. So can you. All right. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 is, is, is most famous because this is the battle where, where David faces Goliath. 
where David faces Goliath. But here, I want to point on a couple of things. We're going to begin in verse number 23. Now, you know most of the story, so we're not going to go into the whole deliberation. But Goliath is part of the Philistine army, and he's calling out all of Israel, and none of them will fight him. None of them will fight him at all. Come on now. Does that not remind you of our generation? Right? The, 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 enemy, the enemy is loud and boisterous. The enemy walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will what? Flee. That's what our job is. Resist him. How do you resist the enemy? In faith. In the Holy Spirit. You resist him and he will flee. Anytime you're going through any temptation, any trial, any crisis, if you'll resist the devil in Jesus' name, he will flee. And that's the truth. Now, what happens here in, in 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to touch on just a couple of these. It says in verse number 22, it says, David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. Now, that's, I want to point this out. I'm going to point out five battles. Five battles. This is the first one. David had enough God in him to realize this is not right. Come on now. The first battle is realizing the difference between light and darkness. If, if, if every faith worships the same God and we're all going to go to the same heaven, then we don't have the light of God. Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him, and that you must be born again. So that's the light that we operate in, okay? But David here had enough God in him to realize this is not right, this is a battle. This is a problem. This should not be, right? That's the first battle. What is it that God is showing you should not be? What is it that God is showing you should not be? Have you prayed, Lord, open my eyes to see? Maybe I've been in darkness for too long. How many of you know sometimes when you're in darkness for too long, it's hard to see? And somebody turns on the light, but the more you dwell in the light, the more you see clearly. And you know, sometimes we need to say, Lord, open my eyes, because you're holy, amen? The world is not. The Bible says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, right? So there's a clear differentiation between our God and this world. God so loved the world, he had to send the Son. I mean, if everything was all kosher, he would have never had to come and do what he did. But because of our rebellion, and the world continues to rebel, Jesus had to come and open a way for us. David here has his eyes open. He sees, he sees an enemy of God. He sees something that is not lined up with the Word of God. He sees an enemy calling out God. He sees an enemy calling out God's truth, God's people. This is God's covenant people. That's the first battle, the first battle. Now, how many of you know that Goliath was big? You big. Let's, let's get this one out the bat first. If you're going to be unwavering in crisis, you're going to have to go back over the 1 John chapter 4 where the Word of God says, 
perfect love cast out what? All fear. You're going to have to love God more than anything else. You're going to have to love God more than it costs you your life. Name a martyr that loved their life more than God. None. They were all willing to lay down their life because they loved God more than their own lives. It cost them their reputation. It cost them their family. It cost them their finances. Some of them, it cost them their head. And we're all worried about our standing in a dark society. We're all worried about how people think about us in a depraved world. We should fear a depraved world liking us. If this world crucified Jesus, and we live in this world, and Jesus lives in us, this world shouldn't be comfortable with us. The same world that rejected and crucified Jesus is the same world that exists today. And if you want to say Jesus lives in you, but the world's cool with you, there's a disconnect somewhere. Because this world has always rejected Jesus. The world crucified him. And and spiritually, he lives in you. He said he and the Father would make their abode in you in John 15. Well, if Jesus lives in you and Christ in you is the hope of glory and the world's cool with you, like I said, there's a disconnect. But here, David sees there's a clear difference. Here's light, here's darkness, this ought not be. Here's the battle. There it is, right? What happens next? Look what happens next. It says in verse 24, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. You know what that is? Popular opinion. The popular opinion of the day was to run. Run and hide. The popular opinion, popularity, the, the, the popularity of the world is don't get involved with that. The popularity of the world was disengage, save yourself. Run for the hills, hide. David had a love for God that was greater than popular opinion. David had a love, a zeal for God that was greater than what the world thought about him. Everybody else ran, but David stayed. Hey, hey, this is, this is one of the things that you, you're going to see God raise up in the church. The first battle is identifying the enemy. The second battle is going to be when you realize everybody else is running away. When you realize nobody else is fighting the same battle, everybody else is running for the hills, that's when faith has to kick in. And that happens when your cause is greater than the crisis. These people, their cause was save self. David's cause was greater. David's cause was God. Their cause was self. And, and notice this. They all, they all fled. They all fled. Popular opinion will decline against the church. The darker it gets, the more the nominal church is going to run away from the battles. Not only will they run away from the battles, but they'll launch grenades at you in the process. That's what they will do. You're old-fashioned, you're a fuddy-duddy, holy roller, you think you're holier than everybody, they will will lamb-blast you with grenade after grenade after grenade, because I want to tell you something. 
When you stand up for what is right in an unrighteous generation, it convicts the lukewarm church. If you'll be willing to stand up for God in this generation, it will bring conviction to those that are unwilling to do the same. You you, you can criticize all you want, but what it really is is conviction. If, if When all these people begin to run away from Goliath, David's ready to go. Where's everybody going? We're Israel. We're God's covenant people. If God be for you, who can be against you? The enemy cannot curse what God has blessed. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. What enemy do we have that God cannot defeat? Our trust is not in chariots or horses, but in what? The name of the Lord. David's hope was not in physical appearance, physical anything. It was in who his God was. What's your hope in? Because if your hope is in something that is not God, when popular opinion goes against you, that'll be revealed. When it's unpopular to go to church, that'll be revealed. You know that it's not popular to go to church in certain places in our world. Our world. We're not talking about in the 1500s. We're talking about in 2022. People get raped, murdered, and pillaged on their way to church in 2022. What's the world doing about it? Nothing. Well, what's the church doing about it? Nothing. We have some folks that will pray for the persecuted. And that prayer, God's going to honor. Because as we've prayed for the persecuted, as we've prayed for the families of those martyred, God is birthing a spiritual revival in the church. The more we pray, listen, God is not deaf. When you pray in sincerity and in love, it's going to touch God's heart. And God's going to raise up some Davids. God's going to raise up a generation in 2022 to speak into the darkness and rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's going to be glorified in our day. Because God is God. God is God. And so David here, when everybody else fled, he stood and everybody else is going away, what will you do? Now that's, that's the second battle. The first battle is realizing you're in a battle. The second battle is everybody else is going to run away. Do you, have the, the, do you have the spiritual fortitude to stand when everybody else is walking away? And lamb blessing you while they do it. Right? What's the third battle, pastor? Family. Oh, there's nothing like that one. You see, your family knows you. Your family knows when you ran away from home when you was 12. Your family knows when you, you know, when, when you uh, stole something out of mama's wallet. Your family knows you. They know your past. They know who you used to be. And if they're not walking in the Holy Ghost, if they're not walking in the light of God, they're going to view you from your past. They're not going to view you in your new reality as a new creation created in Christ Jesus for his glory. You know, we realize as New Testament Christians that our past is gone. Old things are passed away. You're not supposed to be who you used to be. No drunkard, fornicator, adulterer, pornographer. You're not supposed to be that. Let it go. Old things are passed away. God makes all things new in Christ. He makes all things new in him. 
Well, the reality is a lot of times your family can launch that dart. Who do you think you are? You, you, you think you're D.L. Moody? You, you think you're some righteous person? We know you. We know you. This is just a phase you're going through. You, you'll be done with this in a little bit. And when you come back to reality, you can come over and have a beer with me. That's the way that the world looks. The family can launch that grenade that hits the heart. Because these are people that you love the most emotionally in the flesh. You value them. Nothing makes a child more excited than when a parent says, good job. We love you. We support you. Nothing makes a child feel more, more appreciated. And it's the same thing with you. Your, if your family supports you in your walk with God, it will cause you to go higher. But when that family comes against you, what's in you? Your cause is going to have to be greater than that crisis. Your cause is going to have to be greater than the crisis of a rebuke from family. What they think about you. You have to look, you have to look at what God said in his word. And you have to let this be greater than the crisis of a family member telling you they know the real you. You're going to have to let God speak for you. Look at this in verse number 28. It says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride, the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Stop right there. So the family demeans him. We know the real you. We know you still got a naughty heart. Remember when you stole mama's wallet? We know you. You still got that same naughty heart. You're still that same person. And we know what you, you a chicken. You just came down here to watch. We know you. You run away. Every time you run away from the, the crisis, you run away from the battle. We know you. But you see, David had to move past this battle. This is the third battle. David had to move past this one. And the only way that you can move past a critical family or someone that you love criticizing you, is when your cause is greater than your crisis. Your cause has to be greater than your crisis. Because look what David says next. Look what he says. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? David said the same thing Jesus said. This is the cause. The Philistines have come against God. Look, if God wanted to, He could just speak and the Philistines would not exist. But the way God chooses to operate in the earth is through people. And if you'll say, God, I'm a people and I'll be yours, He'll make you His. And He'll give you a cause greater than the crisis. And you see, David saw that. He saw God. The enemy was bigger than him, but he saw God. Public opinion went against him, but he saw God. His family made fun of him, but he saw God. Who is your eye upon today? What people think about you or God? What is the cause for your faith? Is there not a cause? Lord, they are demeaning you. Think about society. They have rejected you. Think about society. 
They mock the church. Think about society. They say all roads lead to heaven. Think about it. They lie on our Jesus. He said there's one way. They say everything's a way. They lie against the truth. They lie against our Jesus. Is there not a cause? You see, the reality is this battle was going to cost the Philistines their mortal life. But the battle that we're in cost people their eternal life. There's a greater cause for us to contend for the truth in our generation than even David had in this battle. Our cause is greater because eternity is at stake. Is there not a cause? Well, hallelujah. The cause for David was greater than the crisis. I want to tell you, if if the crisis is bigger than your cause, you'll flake out. You'll flake out. It'll get too hot for you. You know, this happened to a lot of people. Some people realize the battle, they get involved in it, and then once somebody says a negative thing about their, their, who they are or what they do, oh, guess I missed the Lord. Well, if they didn't throw, look, they did not welcome Jesus. They rejected Jesus. They crucified Him. They pulled His beard out with their hands. They put a crown of thorns on Him. They blindfolded Him. They hit Him. They spit on Him. They crucified him. What are they doing with us? We think that we're going to get roses thrown at our feet. When they did that to the one that's in us. When they did that to the one that's in us. So there's two more battles I want to talk about. But I just want you to see that David had to have a cause greater than the crisis. And you will too. The, 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 the focus has to be on Christ. Your focus has to be on Christ, not, not the crisis. Your cause has to be Christ. Um, down into verse number 33, look at this one. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he be a man of war from his youth. What's the next one? Somebody in authority discounts you. Somebody from somebody in authority says, "Who do you think you are? You 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 didn't go to Yale. You didn't go to Harvard. You don't have a post hole digger behind your name, PhD. Post hole digger. That's isn't that what it means? But they said they said you can't do what you're doing because you're not the right person. We can do what we do because we have the right God." It's not about our person pleasing you. It's about us pleasing our God. Amen? So it's not about you being the right pedigree and the right person because Jesus used tax collectors and fishermen to accomplish his means. And even in the book of Acts, they realized that these people were not educated. They were ignorant and unlearned. But there was one unmistakable thing about the disciples. People could tell they had been with Jesus. They had been with the king. They had been with the master. They had been with the one that opens the blind eyes and causes the lame to walk. They had been with the one that is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you've been with the king, if you've been with the king, you're qualified. You're qualified. 
What qualified David was not his age, it was not his pedigree, it was his cause that he had been with God. When he was no doubt upon those hills that his family was making fun of and tending those few sheep, he was talking with God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He was continually walking with God. He had communion with God. And it was his communion with God that gave him a cause that was greater than the crisis. Nobody could take that from you. They could kill the body, but they can't throw you in hell. Amen? But his communion with God gave him the cause. It was his intimacy with God. He was aroused because of that communion with God. He knew God, and they didn't. And that's why his cause rose. His cause was greater. His cause far outshined the crisis. Amen? And so Saul here was, was, was projecting down on him and dismissing him. And I will tell you this. When you begin to go about the Lord's business and you begin to preach, you begin to compel the laws, you begin to stand up for truth, people will discount you. They will dismiss you. They'll look for your post hole digger. They'll look that you do this or that you do that. Stand on your communion with God. Don't stand on anything else. Stand on your communion with God, that God's in you, and that you have the truth of God. Your communion with God gives you the cause, and it gives you that authority and that right to the battle. That's what, that's what stirred up David. Amen? All right, now we're going to go to verse number 45, all the way down to verse number 45. This is the, the, the next one. It's the actual battle. This one... This one is the one that most people preach about. We're just going to touch on it here at the end. Is the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to see that whenever you begin to, whenever you begin to be embattled for God, there's not just one battle. The, come on now. The enemy's not going to come at you one way. The enemy's not going to come at you the way he always has every time. He's going to come at you through popular opinion through family, through authority. He's going to try to cause fear to rise. He's going to do anything and everything he can do to get you off the battlefield so that you'll be a nominal, lukewarm Christian. But if you maintain communion with God, the enemy cannot touch that. The enemy cannot touch that. Now, here we go. In verse number 45, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. David said, look, this battle's not mine. It belongs to the Lord. You didn't come against me. You didn't even come against us. You came against God. And I'm not coming against you with weapons of war. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I want you to know that the enemy is big, he's tall, he's loud, but you come at the enemy not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, not in your own gifting or abilities, but you come at the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. And the enemy, listen, there's one name given to us whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. Every knee is going to bow to him. Every tongue is going to confess him. At his name, demons flee. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Every principality, every dark principality, every pauper that has popped itself upon this universe 
Jesus is above that. And at his name, every knee will bow. And you may not have read this in Philippians, but it says things on earth and in earth. Above and below. Whether they be demons or humans or anything that God created, it will bow down to its master. It has not defied me or you. It has not defied my church or your church. It has defied God. And God will get the glory. God will get the glory. So these five battles David faced, the last one I believe was probably the easiest one. That's just the the one where God just took, look, he threw that rock and God took it. He He threw it, but God took it. And God implanted it in the enemy's head. And I want to tell you something. God will take you. God will take you. And he will use you to take out, to take out the things that have propped itself up against him. Don't think the enemy's against you. Look what David said. It's not about me. It's not personal. It's not about, you know, us, them. It's, it's about them and God. And if you'll lend, if you'll give yourself to God, he'll use you the same way, and he will propel you into the battle, and he will use you to do great and mighty things. Is your cause greater than your crisis? That's what I want to know. Is your cause greater than your crisis? Well, how many of y'all know, uh, through these five battles, there was an opportunity for David to go, you know, you're right, Saul. You're right. I, I, I am just a youth. What am I thinking? Or he could have told his family member, you know what, you're right. I, 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 I am naughty in heart. I, I, I'm just here just, you know, to be nosy. But here's the thing about David. The Bible records that he had a heart after God. Can I tell you, you're going to have to have a heart after God to persevere through the next season. You're going to have to have a heart for God to love God more than anything else in this next upcoming season. Everybody that I know in church in the last 100 years says, it's getting darker. It's getting darker. It's getting darker. Can I tell you, if you turn on the light, everybody's going to see it. If it's truly getting darker and you, in the light of God is in you, there's coming a point in time the world's going to notice there's something in you. And they're going to come against you. And you're going to face these same five battles. You're going to face every one of them. And in that day, your cause is going to have to be greater than your crisis. See, here's the thing. James records this in James chapter 1. He said that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness means that you know the right thing, but you just waffle. You see, in Romans chapter 8, Paul records it like this. He said that a carnal mind brings death, but a spiritual mind brings life and peace. There's only two mindsets in God's eyes. You've either got a carnal mind or you've got a spiritual mind. That's the way God sees it. And God knows whether your mind right now is on the spiritual things or on carnal things. I can tell you from my perspective that I've been in churches before and I've thought, you know, why did, they, why did they paint it that color? And then I said, what am I doing? I'm here to worship God. Lord, I'm sorry. You know, that's the battle. But God said, if you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. And I want to tell you this. When it comes to these battles, when there comes to a crisis, you're going to have to dig down, dig deep, and get your mind set on God like never before. 
Because you're going to need to have singular of mind. Singular of mind. So that your cause is greater than the crisis. Amen? God is good. God is good. If you focus on Jesus, you got to move from being carnal, right? Well, God is good. This 